welcome to Health Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hello, 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 and we are back to another episode of the Health Kitchen podcast, and the world is still ending, or at least COVID-19 is still continues to have everyone close up shop, and most people are social isolating at home, and just as a reminder, it's a good idea to do that so that we can give our healthcare workers the best fighting chance to manage the crisis in the hospitals because we do not want the hospitals to get overrun. So just a little reminder one more time. But that being said, it's a really tough time for a lot of businesses. It's a lot of tough times for a number of employees um, if you're unable to work from home. And since most restaurants are based out of working um, directly with people, a lot of people no longer have a job. And I have seen some things come up in the last week, some conversations come up of how we manage this um, and how we go about seeing what it's going to look like on the other side. And as usual, I'm not trying to have all the answers. I'm not a business expert, so this is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I'm good at preventing repetitive strain injuries, but definitely not the best at you know figuring out global disease and economic crisis but i have seen some really interesting initiatives so far um one restaurant company is actually putting all gift certificate sales right now for their restaurants to uh, a staff fund so an employee fund to help uh, mitigate some of those costs during this time so that's one thing i'm seeing that i think is uh, really great on that company and those owners to step forward in that way and try to bring forward a solution um, as we're still waiting on you know payments from the government and all those sorts of things so um, what i want to know is if anyone out there is listening to this and has some really good ideas please let me know um, I would love to have you on the show and to talk about those things as well, because we're going through a little bit of an apocalypse right now. And uh, funnily enough, I learned just earlier today that apocalypse in Greek actually translates to uh, revealing something. So uh, take that for what you will, but uh, I think that's kind of interesting, right? We have this um, disease that's kind of revealed a lot of uh, things about how our systems work, what's important, what isn't important. And I think that's really interesting. So maybe we'll see what continues to be revealed over this week. And with that being said, I also want to remind people that this is a great time if you are stuck at home to reflect back on where you're going, how you do it. Do you like where you're going? Do you want to keep continuing there? Or maybe you want to change things up a little bit. I have gone through some of these thoughts myself over the last few days, or at least affirm for myself what I want to be doing, um, you know, in the future with my career, with what I, where I live, what I'm doing, 
all sorts of things. So it's been a great opportunity to think about those things. So maybe continue to do that. And, you know, think about if you're working in the food service industry, you know, where you want this to go for you in the end, you know, and like, where, where, what does it look like for you? And what are you getting out of it? And, you know, what are you giving back? And all these sorts of questions can come forward for you to think about and maybe start to have answers to. And, that's why I was really excited to have today's guest on um, because he has done it all and he's really figured out where he fits in his career, what he wanted to do with his career, and uh, built a really um, successful career out of that. So I really am excited to have this guest on today because he gives a lot of direction in how you can look at your career and where you want to go next. And he has really great tidbits about what you should be expecting from your career uh, working as a chef over time. So I thought without further ado, I'm going to get to introducing today's guest and we'll go from there. Today's guest goes by the name of Gaetano Pugliese. And he started in restaurants when he was 13, moving up to eventually being a chef. And he has worked in all kinds of places, from boutique restaurants to yacht clubs and hotels to more corporate places, and even traveling the world with chef work. And on top of all that, he started his own private chef business called Gourmet Solutions. And he gives a really good picture to what you can do as a chef, what type of opportunities are out there as a chef, and it was just so exciting to get to do this interview. So I hope you enjoy it as much as me. Now, obviously, COVID-19 means we're not doing these in person anymore, and I did the interview online through a Zoom call. So hopefully the audio is still pretty good, and uh, I think it's a great interview, and I think there is so much good information for anybody that's thinking about being a chef, maybe looking to grow their career as a chef, or maybe you're just looking to see where a career could go. So without further ado, and it is my absolute pleasure, let's go listen in. Chef Gitano Pugliese, and uh, I always give the floor to my guests to sort of introduce themselves, tell them a little about themselves, and then we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, thank you, Aaron. Nice. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, hi, guys. My name is uh, Chef Gaetano Pugliese, or Puglise. Um, I am a chef here in Toronto. Um, I'm a private chef, and I'm also a uh, sessional professor at uh, Centennial College teaching culinary, um, culinary management. Um, I've been in the city for about 13 years now, uh, on and off and uh, traveling internationally, living abroad, studying abroad, working abroad, and um, finally decided um, to kind of take my career in a different direction. Nice. Um, so how long have you been in the industry then? So I really started, my first restaurant job was in 2000, 2001. 
Okay. So that was, I was 13. Nice. And uh, I don't think I've really done anything else since then. I've uh, I've done some restoration and I worked at Home Depot once, but uh, that's <laughs> it for a summer. And that's it. I've been in the industry my entire life, I think. Nice. Yeah. Nice. 20, going on 20 years now. Nice. What was that first job at 13? Like, were you dishwashing or? I was dishwashing. Yeah, nice. I started off as dishwasher uh, at a little Italian restaurant back home and uh, I was stunningly poor at it, poor at it. Like I was just a horrible dishwasher. Yeah. Um, and I realized, uh, some of the other guys, some of the young guys, uh, in the kitchen, they were flipping pizzas and, uh, you know, sauteing things, flambeing things. And I just thought it was the coolest, coolest thing to see. And I wanted to be a part of that. And, uh, one of my, uh, one of my friends who was working there said, all right, well, come over here and let me show you how to spin a pizza. And I kind of, it just it just came naturally. I, I loved it from the very first minute I, I touched the dough, and nice. uh, the rest is history. Nice, nice. I know so many chefs that sort of have that story. Like they got in dishwashing, and then you know they kind of yeah. got that opportunity to try something, and then it just like stuck from there. Yeah, it's more that it kind of felt. Uh, you know, you had these these cool guys and cool girls uh, working and and just doing some really badass things with some food and. You know, some of these uh, people were really rough around the edges, yet they created these beautiful works of art that tasted delicious. And I just, uh, I just found that super intriguing. And um, yeah, I just, I, I knew from there, like, I just wanted to see more of this. I wanted to be, I wanted to know more. Yeah, yeah. So from that point forward, did you uh, do like the culinary school route and then sort of went from there or... Well, at 13, I was uh, just getting into high school. So, um, true, true. You know, my goal uh, eventually was to to go to culinary school. Yes, um, but in the beginning, you know, I was in high school and I just started high school, and I was doing very poorly in high school. To be honest, I'm sure many in the industry can relate to that. Um, but I started find figuring out that. Uh, I wanted to be at the restaurant more than I wanted to be at school, right? Um, and so I found myself skipping a lot of class and uh, not going to school and going to work instead. And, you know, um, well, my my father actually caught me on that after the school called and uh, for said, you haven't been to school in a few days and maybe even a week or so. And, and then my, my father confronted me and said, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> And, um, you know, it basically said to me, you know, are you going to, are you going to do this for the rest of your life? And I basically almost out of spite, I said, well, yeah, maybe I will. <laughs> and then I realized like, you know what, shit, you know, maybe I really do want to do this. Uh, at such a young age, I was 13. And, and from then I, I just realized that that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and so from then on, every class that I took in high school, any elective that I could take, any uh, co-op experience uh, that I could, you know, could uh, apply for um, really evolved around becoming a better chef in the future. Um, so I had the, you know, I was horrible at the sciences, except for some reason, chemistry. I was fantastic at chemistry and I really had no idea how that correlated until I realized like, hey, shit, cooking is chemistry. Yeah. Um, so that all kind of makes sense now, yeah. but I did decide to eventually, 
uh, go with the cooking or with the culinary school route. And, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with doing the apprenticeship. Um, I found, I kind of did a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, I love that story that you kind of saw you were good at chemistry and then connected to like school. I was absolutely awful at chemistry, um, through school and, but I was really good at biology and physics and now I'm a kinesiologist who literally puts those two together. Yeah, totally. So it, it doesn't surprise me uh, in the hindsight of it all. Um, but so you eventually are working in restaurants, working your way up through the system. Um, Absolutely. That, uh, that is restaurants that we all sort of know. Um, but do were you working in like super large places, small places? Like, Give me an idea of sort of the volume of places that you might so be working. So for the first, I'd say, 10 years of my um, experience was... Uh, small Italian restaurants, and when I say small, we're looking at about 200 seats. So yeah. not super small, but you know, yeah. um, maybe 150 uh, with a 50 seat patio yeah. in in the summertime, right? Um, and that was that wasn't here in Toronto, actually. That was down in Windsor. So I'm uh, I'm born and raised in Windsor, and that's kind of where I got my start. Um, now those restaurants, up until I was about 20 to 21 years old, that's when I came to Toronto and started experiencing uh, bigger restaurants and um, more more of a, a hustle and bustle of uh, a larger city. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, and along that comes with these big restaurants. Now, I tried to, I tried to go with the smaller restaurants uh, and I really liked that. And then I found the hotels and the yacht clubs um, and then the the boutique restaurants were great, but I found that they weren't paying as well. But you were learning a hell of a lot more. Yes. Whereas if you're working at the bigger restaurants, I find you know you're getting paid a little better, but at the same time you're you know you really have to um, fight tooth and nail to learn as much as you can. Yeah, yeah. I that's that seems to be a similar story that you kind of learn the yeah you can learn a lot more or like a lot more of the of the nuanced <laughs> stuff in like sort of the smaller places sometimes because you also have a yeah. you might have a closer connection to the head chef or the sous chef or wherever you're coming in because it's a smaller place so there's more potential learning but in a larger organization like let's say a hotel or something you may not have that direct connection absolutely and I way. find that the menus. Um, change quite a bit more. You know, you have the freedom to change the menu in a smaller restaurant uh, more frequently uh, than you would in a set in a in a big four or five hundred seat restaurant. Yeah. Um, you know, those menus are are typically set in stone. They might change in specials, and you might have some things change here and there per season. But uh, for the most part, you know, you'll have on a big menu like that, you'll have maybe one hundred seventy five things on a menu, whereas in a small restaurant, you know, you have maybe a chalkboard menu with 12 items and they're done really, really well. And then, you know, next week you'll have the staples that'll stick on there, but maybe they'll, maybe the majority of it will change according to what's in season or what's available or what the market's got uh, down the street or what your fishmonger has, uh, has available for you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and that's sort of that's sort of the magic of it. So that's that's awesome. I haven't had a lot of chefs be able to like talk of both sort of uh, both sort of sides of that. I've seen you know they've ever come from very corporate or they've come from the small and they haven't done both. So yeah, so yeah, I've done both. I've done the uh, the corporate. I've done the small boutique restaurants. I've done um, and I've also worked in you know the larger yacht clubs and sort of banquet and um, uh, catering side of it as well. Nice. 
Um, but you've also done one thing that you, we've talked about off the air, but you've moved into private chef work. Uh, I did. And yeah. I kind of want to understand what was your motivation to go in that direction? Uh, and we're going to talk a bunch about that because you're the first person to have kind of done this that I've talked to so far. Okay. So, yeah, just give me a, sorry, give me a background of what okay. that is, and then we can uh, build it out from there. All right. So basically, I'll tell you how it started first. Um, basically, I in about, I think it was 2013, I left Toronto uh, to go back to school for uh, food science and food uh, microbiology. Um, so I got a uh, diploma in that and having and that was that was one of the best decisions I ever made. It just broadened my uh, horizon uh, as a chef, broadened my portfolio as a chef and my marketability, my marketability. Um, I also realized after I was done that, after I finished that and obtained that diploma, I realized like I still want to work with food. I still want to be a chef and not a scientist. Um, but I don't want to go back to restaurants because I've done it. Um, you know, it's, it wasn't my, it's not where I saw myself in the future. And so I decided, okay, I found myself in restaurants before working and only working for, I don't know, working for the man or working for the owner and, uh, you know, working our tail off for, you know, you know, 90, hundred hour week, hundred hour weeks for peanuts. Yeah. And, you know, at a certain point when you're younger, that's fine. That's great. Um, you're, you're able to do that, uh, especially, but only if you're learning something, there needs to be a takeaway, right? You need to be learning something. And if you're not learning anything, then what's the point? Um, so I realized that I wasn't learning anything in the places that I, that I was. So I, so, so I thought, you know, I had no culinary or creative freedom at all. So I thought, you know, why don't I do why don't I try and market myself in a way where I can come into your home and deliver a chef experience that can be completely tailor-made to your, to the customer. Right. Mm -hmm. And it also gives me the, the culinary freedom uh, to do whatever I want. Really. Yeah. I mean, I can suggest whatever I want to the clients If they want something specific. That's fine. I can get that. Um, but more times than not, I'd say 90% of the times the customer or usually will ask me, what do you suggest? What do you have for me that's wow? What do you have for me that's um, going, that's breaking boundaries or something that's, you know, unlike I've had at a restaurant, right? Because anybody can go to a restaurant. What can I have here in my own home that is specifically um, with, that says your signature as a chef? And that's what kind of really excited me about that business. Uh, and I had a few friends who were doing it on yachts, um, on on planes, or in Europe. When I was working in Europe, I had a few friends who were doing it that way. So I thought, why don't I try this here and see how it works? Um, and you know, starting off, I worked in um, you know a couple uh, cooking classes. I was teaching cooking classes around town, uh, and then I started uh, really building up my own clientele and really focusing on the high end, um, high end clientele. And from there, it just it just boomed. Um, I'm still a sole proprietor. I'm still on my own. I'm still Chef Gaetano, but I found it was a good way to build yourself, um, your brand as a chef. Whereas if you're in a restaurant, I find, you know, you're only as good as your head chef and, you know, the, your head chef, your exec is going to be the one who's going to be claiming all that glory. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that I'm... Uh, hungry for attention there but it you know at some point after all that work and time money 
and uh, blood, sweat, and tears that you put into your career, at some point you should be focusing on you, yeah. right? And where do you want to be? Where do you want your name to be in the next 10 years? Yeah, I, I love that message because I think a lot of people, um, you know, we hear so much about how hard the work is in the in the industry and, um, you know, the low pay and all those sorts of things. But I do like that you're sort of saying, OK, but if this is what you want to do, how do you build a career out of this and make it work for you? And that you took that and you said, this is what I want to do and kind of ran with it. And now you have this, uh, you know, functioning, awesome business that allows you to be creative and create what you want and work with the clients in this way. And like. You know, that's a that's a pretty phenomenal yeah. story, um, you know, for a lot of people in the industry, I think. And I feel like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of young chefs in the industry who are very intrigued on how to break out of the. Your typical restaurant chef, and, and, and it's not that it's typical, you know, the sh chefs, to be honest, I miss I miss it all the time. Um, but some chefs don't, you know, they see what it's like out there now. Um, and it's maybe that these new chefs are not, these new young chefs are not willing to, I don't know, put in the work, but it's not, not really about putting in the work, but I feel like they're a little more, they're a little smarter. Yeah. They understand that their time is, is valuable. Um, mind you, I think to get to this point, you need to have, studied you need to have traveled you need to have been accomplished in some way first yeah definitely you don't just get to sort of cut the line and you know say like i'm just going to start doing this and be awesome and do my own thing you definitely Absolutely. need to put the time in um and i think that's with almost any uh industry or career you might be getting into um you know especially with anyone that has sort of a sort of creative element you know there's a you have to sort of put your time in and go learn and be open to things and see what happens and yeah. As, as a private chef, I can tell you that uh, your clients are not, especially the, um, the, the wealthier clients, you know, I will say that they are very food savvy. You know, most of them are foodies. Most of them have traveled all over the world and eaten at Michelin restaurants and some of the best restaurants on the planet. And I'll tell you, they know their food. They know their food very well. They know their wine and they know their food. Yep. And there's, it's, you know, you can't trick them. So when you're hired by a client, a lot of times um, they'll ask you, where, where did you study? Where did you, where did you work? Where did you, what, what's, tell me your story. Um, so I, I really love it when they, when they ask me that, when, when I don't get that, I feel like, okay, it's, it's more about the price and more about how much can you give me for, for less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not that's not surprising, and, and that's not what I'm here for. I mean, at, at the at the end of the day, um, I do want to have a, an affordable service, uh, but I also my service is tailored to uh, more of a high end clientele, where you know it, it's you know it's a private chef. Yeah, if private chefs were cheap, then everybody would be able to have one, which is not a bad thing, but. You know, I've studied this long and I finally have uh, a way to to name my price, you know, and to what am I worth? Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's uh, so 
Comparably, um, you know, since you're not, this is probably a little bit of a jump in topics, but obviously I like talking about health and safety and performance and all those things um, when it comes to restaurant work. And obviously working in a restaurant is usually really hard and grueling days and stuff. But for yourself, is it, do you have different kinds of challenges then when it comes to, you know, your days and planning them and energy levels and all sorts of things like that? Energy levels is a good one, I would say. Yeah, sometimes you're, I mean, I'm also older. Um, I was able to do the 90, 100, 120-hour weeks back in uh, when I was in my early 20s. But now I find that the energy is, it's still there. The ambition is still there. There's a part of me that is um, really wanting to build this service so that I can get to the point where I don't need to be behind the stove all the time, right? So it's more of an entrepreneur thing now. Um, the energy is probably the the biggest part is where sometimes I I just lack the energy. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, it, you're right. Being as from a health uh, perspective, I find that, you know, yes, it does. It beats you up. It beats your care of your body. Um, once you get into your mid-30s, yeah. It, it, it becomes unstable. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of chefs out there and people in the industry in general, um, in their younger years, in their early years, they punish their bodies with uh, drugs and alcohol. Yes. You know, and if they continue down that road, it, it becomes um, a life altering thing in your 30s, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's it. it, I think it's because you're able to get, uh, like, I've kind of talked about this in other episodes, but you're able to get away with it when you're young in a lot of ways, you know, and not have it cut up with you, catch up with you until, you know, uh, until you're 30, mid 30s, whatever it may be. And then you're like, oh, wow. But if you don't see that effect happening right in front of you, what are you going to be able to do to, you know, to do things ahead of time to, to make yourself strong and resilient? Um, over time. And I think there's starting to be conversations about that a lot. Like there's various groups that are kind of starting to tackle this. Um, you know, my podcast is trying to bring light to it in some ways, but, Absolutely. uh, but I think that's sort of, we're starting to hit that. We're starting to hit that crossroads, I guess, uh, per se. Um, one thing I, I'm really happy to start seeing, and it was about five years ago. I didn't, I didn't even see this five years ago, but in the last year or two, I've been really noticing the, uh, mental health awareness in our industry yes and i think it's something that absolutely needs to be explored more mm-hmm. um you know i don't have a percentage here i don't have a number but there is a there is a a large percentage of individuals in our industry that are um suffering yeah from uh, some severe mental issues uh and it ranges from everything from addiction to depression to anxiety to um, that is it's so light it's so crippling. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've been through it myself. Um, I was lucky enough to come out of it the other side, but you know that was and you know it's really funny because some of my darkest times of my life, I was able to produce some of the most some of the things I was the most proud of. Right. I was able to overcome. Uh, a lot of a lot of that adversity and I find that uh, some some chefs and some uh, people in our industry when they're down like that they they really find out who they are yeah. and uh, whether or not they're able able to overcome this 
and when they do it's just amazing it's just amazing what they can what they can do oh yeah yeah i've known a, a few chefs that have uh gone in and come out the other side and like the work they produce and the work they uh or the restaurants they've opened or whatever it is exactly. right the uh the amazing things that they've pulled off and yeah it's it is really amazing seeing the conversations around mental health um i always uh plug not nine to five uh they're a not-for-profit in <laughs> toronto i'm actually trying we were booked to go on the show last week but unfortunately covid closed everything so we're yeah. we're rescheduling right now um because i'm going to be chatting with them because they you know kind of getting at the forefront of you know that sort of stuff and uh, opening up a dialogue and also building a toolkit you know so a lot yeah. of uh restaurants and a lot of employees just don't have any sort of uh toolkit to say to, you know to work through these sorts of things and i think they're really sort of getting in front of that and i'm seeing some really amazing things from them about all that so uh it excites me having that kind of support is uh is really crucial and i think um having had that in my in my younger years i would have definitely benefited from that yeah 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 so hopefully hopefully this work will keep you know happening and keep uh you know changing the way we see restaurant work and how we can sort of build from there um, and uh, create lasting change. But, uh, well, actually, I'm going to do this question first before we get into the next set of questions. So sure. uh, how is the restaurant industry or how are restaurants maybe different than maybe they were 10 years ago? You know, 10 years ago, I don't see a huge difference. And that might be, that might be part of the problem. Um, not that there is a problem, but um, I do find that 10 years ago, okay, let, let's talk about what's going on now. Uh, I find that some of these small boutique restaurants that I go to, um, the food is fantastic. The chefs are just brilliant. Um, but I find that the atmosphere is very pretentious. And I feel like, you know, I think I noticed, started noticing like five, six years ago that, you know, even the serving staff was is very pretentious. And it's almost as if they're trying to be. Mm. Right. Yeah. They're almost, it's almost <laughs> as if they're trying to be because, oh, we're, we're this, uh, you know, we're, we're this uh, new hot place in Toronto. And, uh, you know, and we can, you know, we know you're going to come here anyway, so I can be rude to you. And I, I really, it really pisses me off when I, I'll just say it, it really pisses me off when I go to a restaurant and service is just not where it should be. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that has nothing to do with the food. Um, you know, usually the food uh, at those places are, are, you know, they try their hardest most of the time. Um, but I just do find this has nothing against any servers out there because you know, some of my best friends are some of the best servers I've ever met. Yeah. Um, but I just find that a lot of times I'm finding that these new hot places are extremely pretentious. And I feel like sometimes they are their own um their own biggest fans yeah yeah i wonder if that uh, affects the uh, longevity of it as well right like if you're really full of yourself are people gonna you know when you're not the newest thing on the block anymore what keeps people coming back right um, yes uh, amazing food and amazing service at the end of the day right you know the food will bring you back um but you'll hesitate yeah you know, it's not always enough. It's not always enough. Service is is so vital to to a to a restaurant to a restaurant success. They are the front line. 
Yep. They are the front line. And, you know, there's nothing worse than getting, um, you know, someone, you know, way, a server telling you, you know, where's my tip or expecting an 18 to 20% tip. And it's like, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, if, if, if you truly deserve it, I will tip 20%, 100%. I always, always. But if it's not deserved, then I, I just um, and it doesn't take much. I mean, it doesn't take much. Just be attentive. Yep. That's it. That's really all I'm all we're asking. Right. Yeah. Attentive, um, concise, able to you know get the job done. Uh, yeah, it doesn't take much. But uh, yeah, I've seen that a little bit in Toronto too. I personally haven't served tables in Toronto. I served in Guelph quite heavily. Um, okay. And uh, I start when I started serving for the first time was in Orangeville way back in the day, okay. like 15, 16, 17 years ago now. Um, so, uh, but it is interesting because like I, when I started serving, I learned at a place that I always said like served the rich and the slightly famous. Um, so I really learned the first time around how to do things. Yeah. And then I went to other places and like, I was just surprised that like the standard wasn't there sometimes, you know, that, the, that I thought was just the norm because that's what I learned in the first place. Uh, <laughs> but you know, yeah. And you know, I feel like this comes down to management, uh, on both sides, front of house and back of house. Um, and it's not, and I, I don't want people to misunderstand me. I don't want to say that all hot new hot places are like this. It really is hit and miss. Yes. And sometimes I go to a place that the service is absolutely fantastic. And even when the food isn't what I expected, I would go back just for the service. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's again. I don't want. I don't want uh, people to think I'm just saying. You know, talking trash about uh, front of house. <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. The uh, the yeah. No. That that's obviously a hundred percent. And uh, I was part of like the opening team of two different restaurants over my years. Um, yeah. And I really got to see like how different management styles like teach people how to open restaurants when we're going over service or yeah. what's expected. And it, it is really interesting. And it really does come down to management, you know, to really like create policies around everything. Totally. And not just policies, but um, being being present with your staff, being present, being uh, being a part of it and watching what's going on and being really attentive to what they're doing yeah how they're greeting guests how they're uh interacting in the back of house right um how back of house is interacting with each other and the front of house um you know there's there's nothing like a server who's trying really hard and then going to the back and then getting barked at by the chef yeah right that's not conducive to to um a well-run restaurant either um so it really is a, uh the job of the executive chef who's manager of the kitchen uh, and the food and beverage manager in the front. Um, it's really up to them to work together and create an environment that at the end of the day is going to translate to a positive experience for the customer. And having opened up my own, uh, you know, starting my own uh, private chef service, I am, I wear all the hats and I really found that, you know, I just really found how, how much of an importance that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and it's, you know, you can almost see it 
translate directly to guest experience. Like, it's just so obvious if you're in it. Yeah. You see that connection, like, right away to this is this is what happens when you have a really well-run restaurant on both ends from, uh, you know, the kitchen to the front of house and, you know, all the little details in the middle. And also, like, a management team that's open to feedback is also yes. important. I, you know, because sometimes, like, there could be things that I would see service-wise or communication-wise even between, you know, the kitchen and front of house where it's like, we could clean this one thing up and, like, make everyone's job this much easier. And sometimes, totally. you know, the management's not open to hearing those sorts of things. No, and that's where the ego of the industry comes in, right? Um, you know, it's one of another reason why I uh, decided to step away from the restaurants was just because I couldn't, um, I really didn't want to deal with the egos anymore. And yeah. maybe it's because of my own ego. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I have a big ego, but um, I just, you know, I find that, you know, people are not, a lot of people in the industry do not accept constructive criticism um, very well. And I find that the higher up the chain you get, the more uh, the more your shit don't stink. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And not that uh, not that say again. Not, this is not including everybody, but I do find that a lot of individuals are not open to those suggestions, and that really creates um, an environment where your staff feels like they're not being taken seriously. They're not valued. Um, at the end of the day, your staff needs to be feeling good. You need to take care of your staff, whether that's emotionally uh, and, um, you know, financially as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's 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 how it is. So um, speaking of financially and emotionally and everything, getting to uh, the biggest topic that's affecting everyone is COVID-19 and yeah. everything is closed in Toronto pretty well. Well, now they're doing takeout on the whole um a lot for of places for now um but uh yeah so just this this wrecking ball thing to the industry in a lot of ways do you think we're gonna look at it like the industry is really going to have a lot of changes after this like are we gonna see some like i guess we don't know because we're only what two weeks into everything closing um mm. like what is it gonna look like in three months six months it's really hard to predict but yeah you know, it's really hard to speculate on that. Um, now, I think I think we are more set up for this than we would have been three years ago. Mm. <laughs> you know, there was no Uber Eats. There was no skip the dishes or anything like that. Now, do I believe that uh, during a, a during not a pandemic when everything's going groovy? Um, do I think that those kind of systems kind of hurt restaurants? Yes, a little bit. Um, but at the same time, it may gives an accessibility to restaurants. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword there. However, right now we are, we are really, really lucky. We have those systems in place. Yeah. Um, now not everybody can go to the grocery store and create food and, uh, come home and cook. And some people don't know how to do that. Right. Yeah. Some people don't have that kind of skill to even make pasta. Yeah. Um, so what do they do? They have to rely on these services. And we're really lucky that that is happening right now, that we have that. Um, how this is going to change in the I think it's really difficult to predict, but I think that we are going to see a little bit more of a sustainability. People are going to be really trying to 
focus, restaurants are going to be really trying to focus on sustainability. Yeah. And how is this sustainable for our staff and how is this sustainable uh, for our clients? How can we get this food out there um, safely and efficiently and uh, profitably? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's sort of, uh, I asked all my previous guests to sort of send me ideas of things that they think, you know, are going to be forefront conversation pieces. And yeah, it's a lot of sustainability and talking about uh, sustainability for the employees and for the business. So, you know, definitely. And uh, I mean, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I think the biggest one, like I had three people say, like, we need to start talking about sick days uh, and like figuring out how to make 100%. that work. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I think that's something that like, you know, needs to kind of be addressed at this point, um, you know, and that interlo- interlocks with so many different things. Like it's like, oh, oh yeah, just absolutely. offer sick days. But it's like, okay, how does the business run when you have a Friday night and you're down a server and now everybody's taking on two more <laughs> tables and they, you know, and it just becomes this mess, um, you know, so how do we go about creating uh, solutions for that? But uh, I, that's what I'm hearing across the board is like sick days need to be addressed. And that kind of fits into that sustainability question. Sick days, mental health days. Those are all really important that, you know, any, um, you know, you look at any government, uh, run company or any government agency, they all have that in place, sick days, things like that, but we're not governed by anything like that. We are, we're usually own, we're usually working for privately owned, um, restaurants or, or, establishments where those things are not in place. I mean, I mean, I can tell you if there's any chefs out there listening right now, um, 90% of them have worked overtime and not seen a dime of that overtime. Yep. Most chefs are working in a place where they're lucky to see their entire wage on their, all the hours that they've even worked on their paycheck. Yeah. Right. Um, let alone taking a sick day and, and in the, our industry, you know, I, I, I talk with friends and, and chefs and I've been guilty of this myself, but, you know, bragging about um, the last time I took a sick day was when I was 15. Um, well, that's not good. Yeah, <laughs> that's not good. That's not yeah. something we like that. Oh, I've never taken a sick day. You know, even I had a family member that died and I, I didn't even I just went to work because I'm, you know, I'm a great chef. OK, but, you know, that's not that's not something we should be proud of. We shouldn't be uh, ashamed of taking a personal day. Yeah. Right. And we shouldn't, we should definitely not be proud of, of that, you know? Um, And it also comes down to all the abuse that we've taken in the industry as well. Like I've had, I myself, I've been guilty of this. Oh, well, I've, you know, I've been branded by a chef and, you know, like, you know, I'm proud, like, well, you have a good because I've, you know, I've had pans thrown at my head and all that's true, but I should, we shouldn't be proud of that. Yeah. That's not something that we should just take on the chin and go back to work. So, I mean, those kind of things, I think coming out of this, um, things like that, the abuse and the, and the, um, the verbal and mental and emotional abuse, as well as the, you know, the sick days and the mental health days, that is going to change. I, I really hope that changes. I hope uh, the younger generation of chefs really stand by it and demand it. Yeah. Right now, just demand it doesn't mean that they, they need to be entitled because, yeah. You know, you need to it's work two different things, right? Two different things. Right. And they need to realize that, you know, in order to get that kind of respect shown to you, you need to show it yourself. Yeah. Um, but we really are in one of the very last industries that are just so rogue. Anything can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's the wild west. Right. Uh, <laughs> in some way. And I think, I think rent, you know, sorry, in this city, I think rent is one thing that 
these restaurants are going to start to realize that that's not sustainable as, uh, either. Yeah. So you're going to start seeing a lot of restaurants uh, only um, opening up for delivery. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting too. Uh, yeah, I think rent is a huge thing, especially in these last like three years in Toronto. Rent has gone oh, through the roof. It's impossible. Um, uh, no one can ever move again. Um, the yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of that's sort of interesting that you know the rents have gone through the roof and everything. Um, supposedly the rental market is opening up in the middle of COVID nineteen because every Airbnb is now going on the market as a rental. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's kind of interesting, but like that's you know happened in the last week. But like it's really hard. It's really interesting. So how you know all these sort of factors and that that you know creates back to the profitability of a restaurant, right? That that really tight margin that yes. you know a restaurant has to function under, which can be like you know three, four, five, six percent, or you know less than that, or more than that a little bit. You know exactly. that's it's just it, the everything that happens has to be like so tight it's such a tight margin that we're that everybody's playing in and in doing so if you're in those margins are you are you operating responsibly are you operating are you treating your employees uh paying them what they deserve to be paid are you um you know are you adhering to all of the requirements you know that that you should be um with such a tight margin it's very difficult to to do that yeah. And I think more people are going to reevaluate uh, whether or not their business is viable. Yeah, exactly. And even, you know, investors buying into restaurants when they're opening and all sorts of stuff, you know, uh, you know, looking you mean at the, the retired dentist who <laughs> says, I'm going to relax now and open up a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Or that article okay. that was on blog. T- was it blogged here or Toronto now or something? The guy <laughs> who opened a restaurant. Anyway, that horrifying article. But the uh, but yeah, or like whoever it may be. Right. That's, uh, you know. But looking at the you know the business plans, where is that margin? Where are we functioning? And is that true yeah. to actually running a really great business? Right? Um, you know, if everything is that fragile, is that really how we should be? Is that the benchmark that we should be aiming for? Right? You know, if their profit profit margins are that high, but yet they're still running um, a kitchen at ten percent labor, it's very. You're working those people to the bone. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, it's it's up to the individual uh, to say to to really come back and understand what they're worth. Yep, exactly. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully people learn that and start you know playing to that a little bit. Who knows? We'll see. <laughs> it's so hard to predict, but I think this is really great for like the first chunk of the conversation we're at like you know 43 minutes here um you know oh yeah time wow, that went by. flies by it always happens it always happens i'm always chatting and then <laughs> i'm like wow we're like we covered the time so i'm gonna leave it at that for now and i'm gonna go Great. to my little break segment and then we're gonna come back and do some uh, quick crazy restaurant stories and go from there sound good sound good awesome yep. And with this little ad break right now, I want to let you know that upcoming Gaetano's Restaurant Story takes the cake. He wins. He has the best one, probably the best one for a long time. There's nothing anyone else can do. He wins. That being said, though, if you're enjoying the show, go share it around. Put it on Instagram. Put it on your Facebook. If you 
want to subscribe, go subscribe. It's on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play Music and probably some other places I don't even know about. So, like, go and subscribe. And go join our Facebook group, Health Kitchen, where I post the latest episodes. We have little discussions about different health topics within the field as best I can. And that is always a good time as well. And if you want to come on the show, send me an email. Aaron at balancedlifeservices.ca or follow me on Instagram, balanced underscore life underscore services. And yeah, give us a follow. Let us know. Let the world know how much you like it. We got 22 million people who get affected by the food service industry every single day. So I want this podcast to get out there for people to hear it. Uh, so go do that go share it around i would absolutely love it and then as well if you super love me if you super love this podcast go give it a review on itunes rate review and subscribe because that really helps other people find this podcast it's a little bit unique and i am absolutely loving doing it so let's help it grow let's get the word out there i can't wait to keep this going and without further ado let's get back to gaetano and his story because trust me it's a good one We are back from my ad, ad segment, and I don't know what I said on that ad segment yet, but probably something about following the show. But, you know, who knows what I'll say because we do these interviews in advance. Um, but for Crazy Restaurant Stories, the one that popped out to me this week um, was I worked in a bistro restaurant out in the country outside of Guelph. And uh, pretty busy place, uh, you know, very rustic style food, very like, um, you know, just sort of home cooked, really good meals. Um, and like the clientele kind of gave you that feel as well as everybody out from around the country. We had a church across the street. So on Sundays, you get the entire uh, everybody from church when it finished would come in for breakfast afterwards and it would be really busy and like pandemonium. Um, but we would, you know, we get through it and everything. And uh you know, it was really, it had a lot of really uh, interesting experiences. But the chef, uh, head chef there who I worked under was Swiss. And he had this uh, ceramic Virgin Mary. And it was above the fridge, like the main walk-in fridge in the kitchen. And it was up there. And I guess it was a slow day one day, maybe a slow afternoon. So lots of cleaning going on and all those cleaning duties you may not get to every single time. And uh, he had the dishwasher take down the ceramic Virgin Mary and put her on the dishwashing rack and sent her through the dishwasher. <laughs> and like I a flag. right exactly. And I just feel like after that, I was well when I saw it happening, I was like, we're all probably going to hell now um, <laughs> for that because I just feel like there was something that you probably weren't supposed to send her through the dishwasher. But just you know those sorts of. Uh, hilarious things that would happen you know in those sorts of uh always right in those sorts There's of environments such silly i mean you know we you know working so hard we always find ways to amuse ourselves whether it's uh yep you know something posted on the walk-in fridge or you know uh just you know we're an oddly shaped vegetable that uh we can amuse ourselves with uh, <laughs> for hours on end. Right. <laughs> uh, what would do you have any good stories? So I wouldn't say it's a crazy story, but it is one that resonated with me quite a bit, and uh, one that I'll never forget. It was really the 
I just, I'll never, it'll be with me till the day I die. Um, I was uh, about 21 years old and I had just gone to Italy um, to work in a, a Michelin restaurant, two Michelin restaurant in the Amalfi Coast. And uh, so I was working under this chef, um, two Michelin chef, and I was just a young, young little punk. Um, really loved what I did, but I also thought I knew everything, right? Um, and I found myself in a situation where there was every single person in that kitchen knew something, knew more than me. And it was a very humbling experience. And, you know, I was feeling very um, out of date, uh, not out of date, but yeah, I guess out of date, but out of touch as well. I was kind of feeling down on myself that I, I should have known more. Yeah. But again, then I realized, hey, I'm 21. Um, but then the chef came to me and uh, asked me if I like music. And I said, yeah, you know, I love classic rock. And he, and he said uh, he did as well. And so, you know, my personal favorite band is, uh, you know, Pink Floyd. And um, he said, no way. Um, his was Led Zeppelin. So he brought me to this. He owned this old 13th century olive oil press tower um, in the middle of the um, just on the Bay of Naples and it was this tower was oh, was in the water and like the, the waves were crashing up on this water. We went to the top and he had this really unique lounge up there. This lounge was, um, there was Venetian glass all over the place. Like this, you know, I don't know if anybody knows how expensive Venetian glass can be, but it's in the thousands and thousands of dollars, even up to the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he had this beautiful um, Venetian glass piece in sitting in the middle uh, that was about the size of a small car. It okay. was massive. And from wall to wall, there was vinyls. There were records covering wall to wall, just his collection. And he had this incredible sound system um, in the center of the room with two chairs, two leather bound chairs, um, and a table. And in the back, there was a, there was a, a wine cellar, a small, um, uh, like a wine, a glass wine fridge. And he brought me up there. I was, and I, as a kid, I was, I was starstruck. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was a window that was open with, you could hear the waves crashing up on the, uh, uh, onto the side of the uh, building. And in the distance, it was nighttime and you could, all you could see was the lights from Naples. Uh, and the smoke coming off of not smoke, but um, the the mist and the clouds coming off of Mount Vesuvius that made it look like smoke. So just all of that was amazing. And I was sitting there with this two Michelin star chef, one of the best chefs in Italy, and having this experience. And then I, as I thought, it couldn't get any better. He pulls out a 1995 Petrus wine. So if any of you out there know know what that is. <laughs> you know what that is. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's one of the most prestigious wines in the world, especially that year. And I, at, the, at 21 years old, I had no idea what that was. I knew it was, um, I knew it was a good wine, but I had no idea really what kind of wine it was until after. Um, nonetheless, I savored it. He opened it up and we drank that bottle while listening to Led Zeppelin Ocean uh, you know, I was just sitting there all night finishing, li listening to Led Zeppelin, 
listening to the waves crash up against the uh, the shore and on the building, looking at uh, you know the Amalfi Coast at nighttime um, with one of the best chefs in Europe and just what an experience! I I'll never I don't I, I honestly believe that was my that was my peak. I don't think I I will have an experience like that again. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that definitely sounds like one of the best experiences ever. You you win, you win. Good job. <laughs> uh, but you know, I love that because also the the connecting to connecting with the chefs you work with, right? I think that's something that you know sometimes people uh, don't do, right? And taking the time to find those common grounds, and then from there, then you're kind of that family, and then you work there, absolutely, you know. Absolutely. It's that, it's that common ground. And, you know, I think um, that chef saw that I was um, a little bit out of my element. It was my first Michelin restaurant that I've ever worked at. And I was uh, very nervous. And I think he saw that. So I think he tried to look for that common ground. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really felt uh, different after that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that, that's probably the one of the best stories we've had to date. <laughs> You win. Oh, I'm just going to say you win. Uh, good job. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. Well, I think I want to leave it at that because uh, yeah. that's, uh, you know, how can we make anything better after that amazing story? Uh, but uh, how can people find you? So how, uh, you know, any. So uh, you can find me um, on my Instagram is probably the best, actually. Um, I have two. My my main Instagram is uh for for myself, my personal Instagram is chef uh, at chef Gaetano Pugliese, and I will um, I'll give you the the spelling for that. Yeah, I will. I, I already follow you, so I'll just make sure in the show notes that people will be able to like find those handles. Yeah, um, and then my uh, my business uh, my business Instagram is at gourmet underscore solutions. Um, and that is my that is my business name underscore uh, gourmet solutions Canada. Uh, you can find me there. Um, if you have any other questions for me, um, you can always reach me there as well. Okay. Uh, so if anybody listening um, needs or want to collaborate on ideas or, or events, please let me know. And, uh, you know, I'm also always open to doing uh, uh, different types of charity work as well. So please uh, reach out. Fantastic. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I will leave it at that. I'll have that all in the show notes. Um Thank you so much for coming on. I think Thank you for having me, Aaron. This, this has been an absolute blast. And uh, till next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is b underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya